You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eagles Insider Podcast. You know, it's good hearing this music coming off the bye week. The Eagles big winners, to say the very least. No one in the NFC East was able to obtain a victory. And, of course, I'm not in for this ride alone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm joined, as always, by Fran Duffy and Alex Smith. Gentlemen, how were your bye weeks? It was lovely. Relaxing. Uh, as you said, the Eagles just absolutely dominated this weekend. Nice to get away. Nice to recharge the batteries a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's get right back into it with Dallas this week. Dallas, Sunday night. Prime time. It's huge. What do you say? It's a big time game. And obviously, the we, we all got to watch what Dallas did with Seattle this past week. The Eagles were home watching and uh, had an extra week to prepare. So very excited to see all the new wrinkles. It'll just be so great to put Dallas in the grave. Two and six, you figure they're going to pretty much be out of it. Tony Romo can't come back this week. He's still on IR designate for a return. Des Bryant, you know, we'll get into the matchups. Didn't look like he's 100%, but the Eagles can get to 500 once again. Probably be in a share of first place, hopefully. And then, of course, Dallas will just be wondering. It'll be the what-if year for the Cowboys. Started out 2-0 with Tony Romo, but just have not been able to generate anything, even though the defense is playing very, very well. For they the are, and that's been, a, that's been a surprise. But we'll talk about them soon. We'll get we'll get into that. So their last win was against the Eagles. Correct. Week two. Correct. And that feels so long ago just from our standpoint. Imagine yeah. from the Dallas standpoint where we've lost five games since then. It's, it's not a place where I'd like to be. Remember Matt Castle was the savior? Yeah. At once upon a time. So going into... This week's matchup with the Dallas Cowboys. Here's a look at the NFC East. The Giants losing in the shootout to the Saints. They're atop the division at 4-4. Four and four. The Eagles in Washington are both 3-4. and four, And then Dallas is currently 2-5. and five. So, coming up on the podcast, we're going to delve into a little 3 and out. Take a, an extended look at what happened over the weekend. As well as a self-scouting report on the Eagles. And a little comparison. We're going to go a little bit in time here. You know, this season right now is looking quite similar in some ways to uh, the last time the Eagles won a playoff game back in 2008. Uh, we're going to give out some midseason awards, both on a team as well as the league level. And then uh, we've got your questions on mailing it in. But first, it's three and out. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three, three. Now it's time for three and out. All right, so we uh, open the podcast talking about the NFC East. Alex, why don't you take a give us more of an inside look at what happened over the weekend? Well, it was the best case scenario for the Eagles because uh, you have the Giants taking on a New Orleans team that the Eagles have already taken care of earlier this season. The final score was thirty-nine to seventeen, but the Saints really got a garbage time touchdown late in that game. So you wanted to see how the Giants could stack up against the Saints. Now. Obviously, things are a little bit different. Uh, if you remember back to the Eagles game, Breeze was coming off the shoulder injury, and there were questions about his health and things like that. And, of course, it was a home game for the Eagles. So it's much tougher to win on the road in that dome. Uh, but what a wacky game that was. Drew Breeze throws for seven touchdown passes, of course, tying Nick Foles' record uh, and a few other guys, but we'll highlight Who's Nick Who's the other Foles. Eagle on the list? Uh, you tweeted it out this morning, I believe, yes, I and did. it would have to be Adrian Burke. Very nicely done. Well done. A.B. Um, so just neither team wanted to play defense in that game. I got to watch most of it, uh, and there were just blown coverages every every place that you looked. Um, but I think in a way it was kind of two-sided. It was 
great for the Eagles that the Giants lost and that, you know, a team that the Eagles were able to beat could beat the Giants. Um, it's good for the standings, obviously, as New York goes back down to four and four. But the, at the same time, it uh, might be a little bit of bad news since the Giants were able to put up 49 points and Odell Beckham had another three touchdown game. Uh, and Eli Manning is clearly playing at a really high level right now. Or is it just one of those games? Did we say that a couple weeks ago about before the Eagles played the Giants? We did. Eli we did. Manning is playing the best football of his and career and is playing at a really high level. Now, and the Saints' defense is atrocious. That's the thing. We know this. Their yeah. their secondary is just awful. They don't cover anybody. So is it just one of those games where you know it's just a shootout and you know it, it kind of gets into one of those grooves where both offenses are playing that high, or are the Giants actually at you know this high a level offensively? I think that's the big question that comes out of this game. I still think that the Saints, we know what they are defensively. They've struggled to cover people all season. I go back to the sideline altercation. They Thank nice. you very much. Nicely done, uh, Brian Thomas. Chris Stevens be, uh, behind the scenes here. Uh, I definitely think, I just think back to that sideline altercation with uh, Rob Ryan and, and Sean Payton during the Eagles Saints game. It's, the Saints defense has struggled mightily throughout the course of the season. Um, the Giants just don't have that run game to balance things out. That's yeah. the big question that I have with them and c- will continue to have with them. And until they can find uh, some semblance of one, I mean, who was the uh, leading rusher a couple weeks ago? Orleans Darkwa. That's right. Orleans yeah. Darkwa was playing in New Orleans this weekend. What? Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did anything, though. I was waiting no. for him to score a touchdown. No. Um, later in the afternoon... Uh, the Cowboys and, and Seahawks. Uh, Seahawks come away with a 13 to 12 win. Not a very pretty game, uh, and obviously more questions come away from this game. 97 passing yards from Matt Castle. Uh, C Mac, you said earlier in the show that he was supposed to be the savior. Yeah. Uh, after Brandon Whedon. After uh, that one never gets old. After Brandon Whedon uh, failed to get the job done, Castle in two games has just been awful. So that's good news for the Eagles, obviously, heading into the game this weekend. But they're not getting much out of their running game, which they thought that, you know, without Tony Romo, without Des Bryant, that they could rely a little bit heavier on the running backs. I think Darren McFadden had 20 carries, and he averaged like three yards per carry. Um, And then the other side of it is, so, you know, ultimately a very good weekend for the Eagles. They don't have to play a game, and they're able to catch up some ground in the standings. So uh, I think that's the right way to spend a bye weekend. Certainly. So uh, I guess I'll take the uh, next point here. I just, just looking at this season, the way things have gone, and I can't help but think how there's some real similarities to that 2008 season when at times, look, you had the quarterback play that struggled. We go back to Donovan McNabb, the franchise quarterback, getting benched in Baltimore. Before that, there was the infamous tie in Cincinnati, which actually proved to save the season. Yes. That's the reason they made the playoffs. <laughs> but I remember standing in the end zone in Cincinnati, just like, it was like one of those, the worst games. Ryan Fitzpatrick was a quarterback that day. Of course he was. <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback for the Bengals that day. Um, just a dreadful game. You know, in some in some ways, you're almost thinking like, I would rather have lost this game than come out with the tie, even though obviously the things that happened down the line were a result of the tie. Um, but there was that Thanksgiving game against Arizona. It was Don McNabb returned after the benching. Uh, Brian Westbrook was spectacular. 
everything, four touchdowns total. You know, and the Eagles got on a, on a hot streak. They won four of their final five games. Now, the weird thing is, is that, as uh, I joked with Fran on the During to the Draft podcast, which we filmed earlier on Monday, uh, how you don't truly control your own destiny. The Eagles did going into the final two weeks of the season. They went to Washington week 16, and they laid an absolute egg, losing 10-3. to Reggie Brown, the Eagles drove at the end of the game. Reggie Brown got stopped like just short of the goal line for what could have been the game-tying touchdown. And I remember sitting on the bus. Uh, we were at 30th Street Station. Uh, just got back from the train, and I remember I was already trying to like map out, like, oh, the Eagles still have a chance. There's still a scenario. And I remember uh, Bob Lang, the PR guy for the Eagles, who's now the uh, VP over with the Niners, and he just said to me, shut up. I don't want to hear anything about playoff scenarios or anything along those lines. But they needed that wacky scenario where uh, – I'm trying to find, find it here. Let's see. They needed the Raiders to win in Tampa. Right. Houston. That, and uh, – and then it was the Texans yep. had to beat the Bears. And there was like one other game that could have happened. And then the Eagles had to play the Cowboys. So uh, I just remember how all those pieces came together. But, you know, this is a team that has has the talent. Uh, this is a team that, look, they've – obviously they've lost a bunch of games, but they haven't been blown out to this point in the season. Um, you know, they've – They've not been able to put a couple of these games away. They had a fourth quarter lead against Atlanta, had a fourth quarter lead against Washington. They were just not able to put some of these games away. There are things that are starting to pick up and they're starting to look better as they go into the bye. It seems like the bye is just coming at the perfect time where if they could start to put some of the things together, you know, defense has been outstanding. The run game is finally getting going. You know, Sam Bradford could pick things up just a little bit. The pieces are there for the team to make a strong run in the second half of the season. Yeah, and that's where my point comes in uh, here for three and out is what do, can they do now in after this week off to kind of turn things around and get things going here for the final home stretch? Because, you know, you look at what is the point of the bye week? And we talked about it last week. The point of the bye week is to self-scout, reassess everything you do from a schematic standpoint, from an execution standpoint, and say, here's what we do well, and here's how we can accentuate that. Here's how we can complement off of what we do well. Here are the things we don't do well. Either we're not going to do them anymore or we're going to you know, put some new wrinkles in, put some changes in to affect how we did it before. Uh, you, know, you try and find all of their d- different tendencies and see what you do in certain situations. Count on teams knowing what those tendencies are and try and put them in a situation where you're giving them something where they don't expect. So I'm really excited to see what this team looks like when they go down on Sunday night and play Dallas. You know, what is the run game going to look like? Are the, are is the timeshare going to be the same as what we've seen in the, in the past? Is the are the uh, the schemes up front going to be the same as to what we've seen? Will there be some new wrinkles? Will there be some uh, you know slight changes to what we've seen from a run standpoint, pass game wise? You know how will things change? You know schematically, will they go back and do more? You know boot action will it be mostly under center or in the gun. I'm very, I'm just excited to see what this offense will look like. I expect more from the same from the defense. Uh, I expect those changes to be a little bit more subtle, maybe not as uh, apparent to the naked eye, but really, really excited to see what this team is going to look like on Sunday. And just talking about the new wrinkles, um, I think those, you know, those exotic looks are something that fans kind of got used to with Chip Kelly. If you go back to the first game in 2013, Chip's first game, where you have the offensive tackles spread out wide, you have the double stack with the wide receivers. 
you know, even going back to when he was at Oregon, you had you constantly had players going in motion and different formations that you had never seen before. And I think through the first half of the season this year, uh, I've been thinking, you know, uh, are we going to see any of that? And I think the reason that we haven't um, is partially because of all the new faces, and you kind of want them to get the basics of the offense down first before you're able to go and do some different things. So now that they have the bye week, they've had a little bit of time to get away, uh, and they've also have, t- have had time to get together and kind of you know gel together, is this where we start to see some different looks that have been such you know a staple of Chip Kelly where, wherever he's been the head coach. So I am really interested to see that coming back this week. All right, so uh, coming up, we'll have the interview in just a few seconds here. We'll also delve into the Eagles-Cowboys matchups on enemy Intel game time. We're going to go through some midseason awards, both team and league-wide, and then your questions on mailing it in. Again, thank you very much for those who are listening uh, and have subscribed. Make sure to rate and comment and let us know what you want to hear on the podcast down the line. So coming up now, it is the interview. And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, the interview. So this week on the Eagles Entire Podcast, going against the Dallas Cowboys, Dallas week here in Philadelphia. Had to bring on one of the members of the defensive line going against this quote-unquote vaunted Dallas offensive front. Welcome Cedric Thornton right, to the podcast. Having, thank y'all for having me. Thank y'all for having me. Dallas week, like you said. So is this the best line that you faced during the course of the season? Uh, I'm not the one to, to, to judge them and uh, critique them and say that they're the, the best line in the NFL, but uh, – if they say they're the best line, I guess we'll go with that, and then we'll see the results on Sunday. And um, if it happened to come in our favor, does that make us the best defensive line then? Do you buy into the rivalry aspect because of the fact that it's Eagles-Dallas and the fact that it's strength against strength, Eagles defensive line against the Cowboys offensive line? Oh, definitely. It definitely starts up front, and I definitely buy into the rivalry because uh, once you put that helmet on and you see that star on the other side, uh, it definitely has to put a fire into you. I just came from home, and uh, we got a lot of Cowboys fans. I was gonna ask there. you about that. Okay. So uh, it's definitely a hype game, and uh, everybody's gonna be watching. So uh, we definitely got to put on a show, and uh, you know, be consistent in our fundamentals and techniques, and come out with the victory. So what did you do for the bye week? Uh, this bye week, uh, it was my son's birthday for Halloween, so okay. uh, it's kind of kind of gloomy and rain raining the whole time in Arkansas. So uh, he wanted a four wheeler for his birthday, so we went out and bought it early, and uh, we had like fifteen to. 20 acres out there and we were just mud riding and uh we had a blast um he uh he he definitely showed me some stuff that i I didn't think he could do so uh (laughs) being eight years old he was driving a four-wheeler 500 you know uh, a honda recon 2016 so we had a nice time man we got to visit with family and uh, anytime you can visit with family that's always good so what are you gonna do for the ninth birthday Eighth birthday, you get the four-wheeler. It's from there. You just got to keep adding on and adding on, you know? Ninth birthday, uh, hopefully he can pocket a little bit of money. We'll have him saving his money <laughs> while you're around and uh, probably Come take a now. trip somewhere. <laughs> nah, daddy, daddy, we try, to, um, we try to grow him up to men, Show you know? So uh, we're just, we just enjoying this process, and hopefully uh, he'll be more, way more mature next year and uh, understand that it's not all about the gifts, uh, about what you can do for others and not necessarily yourself. How do you implement that? Because obviously you've got a great living. Being a football player, you're able to give them everything they want. So how are you able to instill those things? I just take them back to where it all started at and let them know that uh, everything's not gravy, you know, where I come from. And uh, just 
help him to understand that hard work pays off. And uh, it's not necessarily what you're doing when people are watching. It's what you're doing when nobody's around. So uh, just teaching him work ethic and uh, just having him understand that it, it, it's not always been this way for me. And uh, he dictates his future. And um, if he works hard, then it's going to pay off. But you get out what you put in. How do you balance the you want to be nurturing, you want to be caring, but you also want him to, you know, learn things of his own as well as your daughters as well? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard, though, because, I mean, they, they, they raise our accountability here in the Philadelphia organization to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I try to hold them to the same standard that they hold me. <laughs> And my wife be like, hey, nah, uh, this, this is not how I go here. So I be kind of more linear, you know, um, and just let them know that I love them. And it's kind of like a, a hard love, a dad love. You know, I don't give them too much spankings, but I, I let them know when they do something wrong. And I let them know that I'm mad about it. But uh, I just enjoy my family when I can. So when you get the four-wheeler for your son, is it really a gift for you too? Because you're like, I got an excuse to go riding now because, you know, if my if my son wants to go riding, I got to be there with him. So is, is it sort of really a gift for you as well? Almost? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a gift for me. <laughs> I definitely had to show him how to do it, and I couldn't show him on a smaller four-wheeler. But uh, it was a gift that he could grow into. You know, uh, I buy him a four-wheeler now, buy him a 500 now, and um, he'll be able to ride it through his teenage years too. So uh, it's 2016, so um, it definitely is going to have room for growing into it. So how much smack do you get from Cowboys fans when you go back home to Star City, Arkansas? Uh, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship. They love they love cheering for me, and uh, they want me to do well, but they actually want us to lose too. So uh, I get the, I get I get a little bit of both. Uh, let's go Cowboys, beat the Eagles, or let's go Sad, have a great game, but we want the Cowboys to win. So uh, I mean, it is what it is. Did you watch any of the games while you were back home? I try to stay away from them, but I caught last night game. I okay. caught the Carolina game. Uh, I actually was rooting against them. Uh, of course, Trent Cole plays for the Colts. Uh, it made it a little bit better for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw the end of it. Uh, I didn't watch overtime because I was kind of thinking that they were going to lose and hoping they would lose. Uh, but, yeah, that's the only game I watched. Um, I try to stay away from the TV. I really don't see a lot of negative media talk or none of that right there uh, unless I'm on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. But I, I didn't catch too many um, NFL games. I caught a lot of college games. Uh, the Razorbacks had an easy one, and they pulled it out. So I'm a Razorback fan. I went to Southern Arkansas University, Mule Riders. Of course, I'm a fan of them, but I love, I love the Hawks. So the uh, running back you're going to see this weekend, mm -hmm. Darren McFadden. Darren McFadden. You know, from about an hour north, I think, for where you grew up in Arkansas. Yeah. Was a Razorback himself. Did you hear a lot about him growing up? or? Yeah, um, Darren Fadden, um, it's kind of a, a unique story. Uh, I played him in the playoffs my 10th grade year. Did you? Uh, we kind of knocked him out. He came in with a lot of hype. He was going to University of Arkansas. Uh, played every position possible, quarterback, kick return, kicker, all that. And um, we had opportunity to play him, and we beat him. We defeated him. And, uh, just, um, just I think this would be my first time actually playing him as a starter. We went to Oakland a couple years back. He didn't play um, – Last game, he didn't play too much. Uh, he came in on some third and fourth down action like that. But uh, I'm really um, excited to play uh, play against him. He's a great player, and um, hopefully he got everything on track and uh, we can get the, the best McFadden there is so we can shut him down. What's been the key for you guys on the defensive line carrying over the success that you had from last year into this year? Uh, hard work and dedication and, and know who you are. Uh, we know who we are. Uh, we know that we're going to hit the sled uh, a thousand times in practice, and uh, we know that it's going to convert over to the game. So uh, we just try to make sure our habits reflect um, our overall mission, and this, this week our mission is to be 1-0. So uh, just try to have the best week of practice and uh, go out there and uh, be as efficient as possible on Sunday. So are you still nicknamed Swamp Thing? 
in the D line room? I don't think that, that I don't think that I ever leave. You know, uh, okay. we got we got some of the older vets that came in. Maxwell came in. He called me Swamp Thing. I'm asking where he got it from. So I mean, it's a talk around locker room. They call me Swamp, but uh, it's more about uh, who you are. Are you being productive? Uh, can we count on you? So uh, I think Swamp will always be here in my mind frame. Um, I always answer to it, but uh, I just try to be a better player than I was last year or the week before. What is the biggest challenge? or the most underrated aspect of being a defensive end in this scheme where you're not able to just go after the quarterback like you were like in college when you're just a one-gapper, you know, when you start at your career here in Philly, when you had to transition to being a 3-4 end. What's like the most underappreciated part of uh, playing the position? I don't know. Um, I, I kind of like the challenge. I accept it. Uh, I'm a team player automatically, and uh, I just feel like it, uh, it lets me have both assets. Some plays I can run wild, and some plays I just have to – be there and allow other people to make plays. So, I mean, I love it. And um, I just think it get overlooked that uh, it's a battle in the trenches. There's not a play that I don't put my hand on somebody. Uh, so, I mean, you get a lot of people that take plays off. And in the trenches, if you take plays off, you probably wind up looking like a safety or a linebacker. That's how far you probably get pushed back. So, uh, I just feel like the, the difference is that um, we actually um, have a fight every play. Uh, the fact that the Eagles have brought in some younger guys, guys like Taylor Hart, Bo Allen, the last mm -hmm. couple of years, and you're still there starting up front, does that mean something to you? Does it? Is it a challenge each and every year that, you know, even though you're a veteran and you've got a couple of years under your belt, that there's always guys coming for your job and you have to stay on top of your game? Oh, yeah. I use that as a motivation all the time. I tell the guys in the room, I teach you what I know because I know one day this old dog is going to have to get out and go, you know, uh, but um, I don't look at it as a negative thing. I've been in the same position they was. I had a great leadership in my room that helped me become the player I am today. So I just try to do what I was taught to do, um, grow them into the players and let them know that it's a process. And maybe you're not getting the reps you want right now or the ones you think you need. or It's, it's going to happen in due time. Just be patient, enjoy the process, and when it's your time, just be ready to answer the call. What did teams miss on you in the draft? I think they um, – I had a lot of negative um, things coming out of the draft. I think they just missed that uh, I'm a player that loves football. You know, uh, they can spot the ball, and if it's for $100,000 or it's for a dollar, I'm going to give it my all, you know. So I'm a player that's dedicated to the game, and uh, I just love it. You know, uh, there's not a day that I go out on the practice field and take advantage of that day by not going hard. I, I just know that you never know when it's your last, and – and I just lay it out on the line, not for uh, my sake, but for my teammates' sake, my family's sake, and for, you know, God, and I give him all the glory. All right, so I got to quiz you about uh, or kind of get some information from you about your defensive line mates, the guys on the starting front there. Okay. What's something about Benny Logan that Benny, we don't know about? Uh, Benny Logan, um, of course, y'all know uh, Cachado. That's where he's from. Yep. Uh, he's a great guy, and uh, he spent, off the field, he spends a lot of time with my family. Really? Yeah. So uh, he's like an uncle to my kids. Uh, okay. My newborn, he bought him a lot of clothes, and uh, he's a great individual. Uncle Benny. Uncle Ben. That's no. what we call him. Uncle you call ben. Uncle Ben? Uncle Ben. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Uh, what about Fletch? Fletcher Cox. Uh, we came in almost together. Uh, a great individual again. Um, a player that can be real dominant, you know, um, in, 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 in all phases of the game. And uh, just a great individual on and out the field. What have you enjoyed most watching him develop and grow over the last couple of years? Uh, I just enjoyed uh, that he's not um, content with his situation. He's, he wants to be better than what he is, and um, he understands that he can be one of the best ones, and he doesn't – off the field, he's not an arrogant individual. He's a humble individual. And uh, I got an opportunity to go to Yazoo with him okay. to see how he lived and uh, just understand where he came from, and I can relate to him a little more. 
Was it similar upbringings in some way or? Definitely was similar. Similar area, um, similar people, uh, similar hometown. And what about Benny in terms of uh, the jump that he's made from last year to this year? Oh, tremendous. Uh, it's, it's light years ahead of last year. Not saying that he wasn't a good player last year. Yeah, of course. But if you turn on the tape, he's a great player this year. Like, what, that's an understatement. He's a great player this year. What do you think is the biggest difference? What is, what's something that, you know, someone who studies the tape, someone that's in the film room like yourself that would pick up on that most fans wouldn't recognize? Uh, I'm, I'm learning from him. So uh, I was trying to catch what he caught that I didn't, you know, in okay. his years. Uh, and he actually just – just told me to slow down and let the game come to me. And um, and if you watch film, there's a lot of guys that are moving fast. And he's not moving as fast, but he's moving as, as efficient and as effective they is. And he's more stronger at the point of attack. And so he's teaching me that all I got to do is slow down and understand that um, and be confident that I am strong enough to hold a two gap and that I am strong enough to hold a double team and that I, I am strong enough to beat a um, one block. So uh, I learned a lot from him. He got less miles and uh, Fletch. He went to Mississippi State, had great coaching. So – I'm a learner in the room. Yeah, I'm a vet, and they can learn from my wisdom. But technique-wise, I learn from them guys. How much do you study what the offensive linemen do in their sets so that if they're lined up in a certain way, hands a certain way, feet a certain way, <clears throat> that you know what's going to come on a certain play? How, how much of that goes into it? I do like um, or algebra, geometry. You know? I study everything from demeanor to uh, personnel to uh, cadence to – Run stance, passing sets. Um, I study the individual himself. I go back and look at all the games he played in, how he set this person. How he, I mean, it's real. It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work, and guys over overlook that. But I just study to be very effective for one or two plays of game. Just know that play and make that play. You know, for myself. And uh, I learned a lot watching film. Uh, I want to take up coaching after this, but uh, watching film it definitely makes me a better player, and it makes me more relaxed and calm on game days. And and help me be more productive for the team. Do you ever look up background information on players for trash talk? <laughs> Actually, uh, against Carolina, I looked up my um, offensive lineman. I found them on Instagram. And um, I kind of went through and liked a couple pictures, you know, just to let them know, look, hey, I know who you is. I see you, you know, uh, uh, beautiful wife, by the way, you know, just to throw that in, man, in the game. So uh, I let them know. I, I definitely know my opponent when I go against them. And do you ever catch them off guard? Do they say something and you say something and they're kind of looking at you like, how, how does he know that? Yeah, you know? definitely, definitely. Uh, I know. I remember a couple, uh, I want to say last year, uh, the guy from the Giants, I guess he was uh, married to the, the coach's daughter or something. Oh, uh, O'Hara, is it? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember his name. Sneed. I want to say Sneed. Oh, Chris Sneed, yeah. Yeah, and so I just was telling him, like, hey, you know, everybody went been with their owner daughter, you know, just to mess with him. He's, uh, he's married to Tom Coughlin's daughter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, the coach's daughter. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just um, having fun out there and just <laughs> knowing that, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun game. So well, what did he say? He just looked at me and started laughing. Cause <laughs> they, they know. They know. We you know we, we young, and we just like the game that we play. Uh, said. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. I don't think there's really anything to transition from that. I think the, the fact we learn about the D-line and the art of trash talk, it all comes together here. So, uh, said phenomenal season to this point. Uh, best of luck. Uh, bring home the win from Dallas this weekend. All right. Thank you. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for Enemy Intel. A huge Sunday night game for the Eagles. Another NFC East battle. And Fran Duffy is here to break down all the X's and O's as we get set for Sunday night in Dallas. Or I guess it's in Arlington, Texas, actually. But either way, Fran, first things first with the Cowboys. 
They get Des Bryant back last week against Seattle. Didn't necessarily have a great game against the Seahawks, but just getting him back in the lineup, how does that alter things for the Cowboys? Well, here's what it does is that you had an offense before without Des Bryant where if you take Jason Witten out, now you feel pretty good. For most teams, you feel pretty good with your matchups across the board. Terrence Williams hadn't shown the ability to defeat one-on-one coverage consistently and win. Devin Street had made some plays here and there, but again, hadn't shown the ability to beat one-on-one coverage consistently on the outside. I think that they've kind of gotten away from featuring their slot receiver whether it's Lucky Whitehead, they'll try and feed him the ball uh, in a lot of different ways with you know different speed sweeps and jet sweeps and reverses. Cole Beasley is not as big of a factor as he has been in the past. I don't know if that's a Tony Romo thing or not, but you know when you factor Des Bryant's return in, now you've got the ability where you've got Witten and you've got Des, and you really have to pick your poison now as a defense and decide who you're going to defend in which in which situations. This is an offense that tries to attack in a lot of different ways, and you know obviously they they want to run the ball, and ideally they that's what they want to do. This is a run first team. They want to be able to run it but they find different ways to attack you because of different personnel packages that they do use they have a very wide array of different weapons whether it's the tight ends or the running backs they try and displace the receivers uh, in a number of different formations to try and create favorable matchups so it's going to be interesting to see how they try and, and play the Eagles but the big question for the Eagles defense will be are we going to spend our resources in trying to cover Dez or are we going to spend our resources in trying to cover Witten and then can we win the one-on-ones in the other spots I know last week's Seattle with Richard Sherman, they could kind of shadow him on Des Bryant. The Eagles don't really do that. So you expect to still see Byron Maxwell on one side. And if Bryant matches up with him, that's how it is. But it may not always be the case. Yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, if you if you look around and what they've done in the past, you know, you had a, a receiver in Odell Beckham, who obviously is a great threat. In the second half, the Eagles shut him out because they showed the ability to create different double coverage concepts to take him out in certain situations, keep, you know, mainly on third down. Will the Eagles try to do that with Des? Will they try and do that with Witten? They've done both in the past. You know, you, you can go back to week two. They did it against Witten a couple different times. You can go back to last year. In one of the games, they tried to take away Dez. and one of the games, they tried to take away Witten. It just turned out that in, when you were trying to focus your attention one, in one spot, they were able to beat you in the other. And the other thing you have to take into account as well, when you put guys in double coverage, you can't really blitz. You, you, you only have 11 guys on defense. So if you're going to say that we're going to put two players on one and we're going to have a safety over the top, you can't send more than four players after the quarterback. So it'll be up to the front four to make sure that they get home against this Dallas offensive line. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, the Cowboys have a playmaker coming back, and it's Greg Hardy, who we didn't see the first time around. Uh, he's been pretty impactful to this point. I think he's got three sacks. He had a pick against Seattle. I believe he's forced to fumble as well. So how does their defense look differently than it did the last time around? Well, now you've got that pass rusher up front. You know, we didn't. They didn't have Randy Gregory either. Uh, you know, in that first matchup. So you've got. Uh, Greg Hardy, who has been, you know, when he when he's on the field, he's one of the most feared pass rushers in the league because of his length and his athleticism coming off the edge. And Randy Gregory, who was probably the you know one or two best pass rushers in the uh, in the draft this past year, Gregory hasn't panned out yet, but he's still coming along, and you can see some of the potential there with him. Hardy's a guy that they move all over the place. You know, he starts at the right defensive end, but in certain sub packages, he'll slide inside. He had a sack against the Giants a couple weeks back when he was lined up as a three technique and a nickel sub package. So they move him all over the formation he's a matchup problem because of his size and because of his athleticism and you know with that length he's able to just make plays that some guys can't you know that interception that he had this past week against Seattle was a perfect example where uh, you know he's coming after the quarterback he's able to get his mitts up and knock the ball down and he has the athleticism the body control the awareness to come away with the interception and make a big play for the defense so Hardy between the lines is definitely one of the most effective pass rushers in the entire NFL I think the hope is obviously for Eagles fans that Jason Peters is healthy enough to go 
after leaving the game against Carolina with back spasms. But if for some reason Peters can't go, would you expect to see Hardy lined up exclusively on that side, or do you still think that they'll move him around? I think they'll move him around. You know, I think they're going to do what they do defensively, and that's how they've always been. You know, Rod Marinelli is not a guy that is going to show you all kinds of exotic looks and you know try and change things up week in and week out. They have changed things a little bit differently this year, where you know it's a sub package defense. You know, they play a much more nickel and dime than we have seen in years past. But I don't expect them to try and change what they've been doing. You know, there are going to be times where they they slide him inside, and sometimes where they you know leave him outside. But I don't expect anything to change based on who we have out there in terms of personnel. Eagles offense. Jordan Matthews, obviously, he's had his struggles holding on to the ball. Hopefully, the bye week was a good chance for him just to kind of clear his head and get back out there and get back to the form that we saw him last season. He had a late-game touchdown against Dallas the first time out, but... Dallas is kind of deploying their secondary a little bit differently this time around as compared to last time. Yeah, you know, and Tyler Patman was their nickel corner, uh, you know, to start the season. But now you've seen Byron Jones really come into his own. He played 100% of the snaps the other day against Seattle. He start in base, he starts as a safety opposite Barry Church. And then when they go to their sub packages, and like I said, they're in their nickel and dime packages much more than they're in base. You know, you combine that nickel and dime, I would say it's probably two thirds of the time they're, they're in their sub packages. So, you know, you're often going to see Byron Jones in the slot, whether it's against the tight end, that was what he did most, you know, most of the time in the beginning of the year, or whether it's against slot receivers, against running backs. I mean, they're they're not scared to put him in against really any kind of uh, eligible receiver. So I would expect to see Byron Jones on Jordan Matthews at times. Could be that he's on Zach Ertz or Brent Selleck as well. Jones has turned into a very versatile weapon for them in that secondary, and he's used in a lot of different ways, and he's making a lot of plays. Great stuff from Fran Duffy, as always. Be sure to check out Fran's Eagle Eye in the Sky column on PhiladelphiaEagles.com as he previews every matchup on the Eagles schedule and right now we will shift ahead into game time get out your scorecards it's game time every great podcast needs a great award show and since this is the eagles going to be the eagles eighth game of the season exactly halfway through i've decided that we're going to give out some awards today and i would like to call them the potties since this is the eagles insider podcast So we are giving out the halfway point potties today. So I feel like I'm toilet training. I hope hope you've all been potty trained. (laughs) So first things first, all these awards are at this point in the season. We're not projecting down the road and or any of that stuff at this point right now. Gentlemen, we'll start with Fran. Who is your 2015 league MVP? Uh, that would be the quarterback for the 7-0 New England Patriots, Tom Brady. He's second in yards. He's first in touchdowns. He's got a 20-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. Tom Brady is the MVP so far. Good choice. It's unanimous. I can't even think of another person to put up for the award at this point. You can make sure you can make a case, but Tom Brady has been the best player by far on the best team. He's elevated that group. They are playing unbelievable football. In a year where there's been a lot of middling teams, you know, we talked about Seattle, how they're just not as impressive as they've been in previous years. You know, the, the Patriots are an outstanding team this year. Yeah, they're just coming out and steamrolling teams right now. And I agree. I, I would say Brady is the MVP as well. I think that one game suspension just lit a fire under him, and he has been just incredible. I mean, he's always been incredible. He's one of the best quarterbacks ever. Well, lack thereof. Uh, suspension. Right, right. But he's just been terrific. The other names to consider and Sounds kind of weird saying this. Andy Dalton? Yeah, I mean, I actually I spent time with family over the weekend. A sister-in-law grew up in Pittsburgh, so we were watching that game. It's a gutty team. They are winning games in the past that they did not win. 
I don't know if I call him the, the MVP. He he, you know, probably would be in consideration as in the mix, but he wasn't great for a lot of that game. They the defense kept him in. Quite honestly, Big Ben flushed that game away. Right on cue. That was perfect. Yeah, as soon as that I was like, that's the reason the reason the Steelers lost that game is you know, you what what makes Big Ben so great is his ability to keep plays alive and he kept it one second too long yesterday uh, and through the first of back-to-back interceptions. That's really what gave the game away. So, And then the only other name worth consideration, what about Cam Newton? Now, stats-wise, obviously, he's not the best passer in the league or anything like that. His team's undefeated, yeah. and for the style of offense that they run... It's on him. Right. Sure, he should get some mention, but the defense but it, is phenomenal. Right. So The defense is outstanding. Uh, he's been very good. I mean, he, in a if it was a year where Brady wasn't by far... The cream of the crop. Yes, yeah. you can make a strong case for him, but to me, it's there's just no question this year. It's kind of like what was it, 2010, the year that Brady? I think he was unanimous MVP, and Michael Vick had a phenomenal season for the yeah. Eagles. And it was like, well, maybe in a year where Tom Brady wasn't superhuman, Vick could have been the MVP. Yes. Speaking of Eagles MVP, okay, gentlemen, who is your Eagles MVP to this point? I get to start off. Yeah, you can Thank start you, this friend. one off. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins solidified the back end of the secondary. You know, the position that had been the question mark for Eagles fans for a number of years. Defense leads the league with 19 takeaways going into this week. I'm not sure if that number still holds. I apologize. But he has been everything, a versatile chess piece for Bill Davis. The defense is a reason that this team is still in the mix at three and four. And I think uh, Malcolm Jenkins has been the uh, excellent of the defense. I thought that you were going to go with Fletcher Cox. So I had Jenkins ready to roll. Oh, no. I would say, I mean, Jenkins okay. absolutely yeah. should be yeah, in you're there. You're like, wait a second, wait a second. No, Where's I mean, the Fle- greasy Fle- wheels? Like, wait, I can. Well, Fletcher Cox, I mean, Cox has been just dominant week in, week out. And, you know, and we, we know that. We've talked about it each week here uh, on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Dominant against the run, dominant against the pass. Uh, the ultimate disruptor for this Eagles defensive front. Malcolm Jenkins is obviously the glue that holds everything together on the back end. But Fletcher Cox, for sure, has been probably the most disruptive force, I would say, probably in the entire NFC, uh, at least so far through eight games. We all didn't go over our answers beforehand, so no. I went with Malcolm Jenkins as well. For all the reasons that you guys said, I think he's been tremendous. I think maybe you can make an argument for co-MVPs if you said oh, stop. Fletcher Cox and Benny Logan because both of them together have been outstanding. Fran would uh, love that. So, I mean, that's another way maybe, you can go. I think but. part of it, though, I will admit to this, is we're so used to seeing Fletcher Cox play this way that you don't appreciate it as much exactly sure. so i could i could say that could factor into sure. it all right let's go uh around the league here the 2015 defensive player of the year right now is uh i'm gonna say jj watt look at his stats through eight games last year where he was the defensive player of the year he had 32 tackles seven sacks 24 hits in the quarterback and 10 tfls this year through eight games got all, more. Those, all those numbers <laughs> all those numbers are higher 40 tackles eight and a half sacks 25 quarterback hits and 15 tfls even though the texans are floundering right now well hold on wait 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 aren't they tied for first yeah, but if the, the Panthers win are, tonight. Yeah, but the Texans are. <laughs> you know, no one's no one's worried about the Texans. We're filming this on Monday afternoon, but still, they could be tied for first place. Yeah, so. but <laughs> I would say JJ Watt is the defense player of the year so far. It seemed like he was obviously getting a lot more hype last year because the Texans had started out a little stronger, but definitely he was the pick. The other people I was, you know, in consideration, I was thinking of Josh Norman. That great start for the Carolina Panthers, four interceptions, 10 pass breakups, including one that was pivotal in the game against the Eagles. You know, Tyron Matthew of the Cardinals is getting a lot of love. Charles Woodson leads the league in interceptions for the Raiders. Cameron Jordan for the Saints. I know no one's going to say anything about Saints defensively, but he's having a very, very good season. But I still think J.J. Watt is 
number one is the defensive MVP. Josh Norman was the guy that I came really, really close to picking. And then I would just went and read through some of the stats, and I ended up with Charles Woodson. Leads the league in interceptions. He's got five. And this is it's kind of like a lifetime achievement award because it's unbelievable that this guy is able to be as effective as he is. Goes back to Oakland after I think he won a, won a ring with the Packers. Ends up back in Oakland, and he's just been outstanding for them. Age is clearly not a factor with him, and he's just been terrific. Weren't you like eight years old when he entered the league? <laughs> when did he enter the league? 99, I believe, he got drafted. I was. I was eight years old. Or no, he was 98. I was, was seven. He, or I don't think he was in the Donovan draft. Yeah, so. he was the uh, he was the Peyton, the Manning, Peyton draft. Manning draft. So ninety eight. I was seven years old. I was in second grade. There you go. <laughs> that's um, that's unbelievable. That's great. Uh, I got to give a tip of the cap as well. Those numbers that I supplied earlier from JJ Watt were from Chris Wessling from NFL Network, who did a good job pulling those numbers together. Just for you doing friends work. Not for well. me. I just you know I saw it on Twitter. So <laughs> hey Chris, can you do me a favor? This we're, helps. Uh, we're giving up these awards. My argument. Fran is as insiders. Moving on, coach of the year. I know uh, Dan Quinn in Atlanta got a lot of love early, but coach of the year right now, who would it go to? Belichick, without question. I mean, they're after everything that went on in the offseason, they're coming off a Super Bowl win. They're undefeated right now with all the controversy, all the adversity that the team faced in the offseason uh, with Deflategate and that whole mess. Just seeing them, the way that they've just dominated the competition week in, week out. He's always at the very top of the list in this category anyway. I would say it's Belichick. I went with offensive coordinator Mike Shula of the Carolina Panthers for the way they've crafted that offense after losing, you know, the one go-to weapon on the outside in Kelvin Benjamin, having Cam Newton play the best ball of his career, getting that team to be undefeated when, you know, their offensive line, it's a mass unit of bringing guys together. So Belichick, very deserving. And I think, again, it's a case with him where that team performs so well every year that you kind of, again, don't appreciate it, what they're doing. But I went with trying to look at the undefeated teams, who's a surprise you feel like doesn't belong in this group. Mm -hmm. And I would say the Carolina Panthers, but they're getting it done. And obviously... Ron Rivera, I would put as the coach of the year here, but I was just looking at the offense and the job that Mike Shula, the coordinator, has done. So I gave it to him. That's interesting because I considered putting best coordinator or assistant coach on this list as well, but I didn't do it. But I'm glad he brought that up. I went with Belichick as well, just because every week it seems like the Patriots find a new way to beat you. It'll be Deion Lewis one week, then it'll be LeGarrette Blunt, and they just find different ways to beat everybody, and they're just on another planet right now, I think. So I went with Belichick as well. Offensive Rookie of the Year. I went with Todd Gurley. I think that ever since he's been inserted into that Rams lineup, I think he set the NFL record with four straight 125-yard rushing performances to start his career. He's just turned that entire offense around. They're built around him. And, you know, he had all those concerns about injuries coming out of the draft. And the Rams took a risk and drafted them in the top 10. And I think it's paying dividends right now. I'll just be a contrarian for the sake of it and say Amari Cooper, the Oakland Raiders. The Raiders are relevant once again. He's been the go-to guy from the jump for the passing offense. You know, Derek Carr's having a very good season, but Cooper is a big reason for that. You know, even in the win over the Jets, you know, he's able to hold his own against the likes of Darrell Revis, but open things up for everyone else. Coming off last year's outstanding draft class at wide receiver, I think a lot of people were wondering if Cooper was worthy of the number four overall pick, and he has certainly proven that he is more than worthy of that draft selection and uh when you look at the rookie wide receivers it's really been him and stefan diggs yeah in minnesota those have been the two who have stood out to this point so but since i'll just say since cooper's done it from the start of the season 
I'll give it to Cooper. But obviously, Gurley is going to be a very sexy pick right now, especially coming off the performance he had over the weekend. Yeah, and he's, he's fifth in yards and with 575. He's sixth in yards per carry at 6.1. That's why I went with Gurley. And he's on pace. I think he's for, on pace for 1,800 yards or something, which through 14 games, which would be just silly but it's Gurley. the Odell Beckham of this year basically. sure absolutely no Gurley I, I went with Gurley for that reason he's just been dominant since he's entered the lineup I believe they have not lost a game since he entered the lineup I'd have to check that I'm pretty sure I read that on Twitter this morning since he started since he started yeah which look I mean he, and we all knew he was potentially the best player overall in the draft last year and for good reason well the real reason is Nick Foles come on now yes Mickey Foles there you go Nicky Flash how y'all doing <laughs> Next up here, a couple categories left. Defensive Rookie of the Year. I think we all think Jordan Hicks, the first name that comes to mind, obviously, since he's playing here. Yes. But a couple other guys of note. So who do you guys have as the Defensive Rookie of the Year? I went with Hicks as the homer pick. Of course. You know, and a lot of it is just easier to look at the offensive players because you'll see the numbers. It's easier to judge the production. It's harder to do that with the defensive players. The one guy I considered here, Leonard Williams of the Jets, because of the fact that they lost Sheldon Richardson to start the season. There are questions about whether you know Leonard was was drawing the Richard Seymour comparisons during the draft process, fair or unfair, and people were wondering if he was worthy of being a top five pick. And that Jets defense has been a big reason why they've gotten off to a good start. And I first went through the questions and saw Coach of the Year. Todd Bowles is actually one of the names that came to the forefront for me because he's done, I think, an outstanding job Todd co- considering what happened with the quarterback position. But uh, I would put Leonard Williams up there. But certainly, I think if the Eagles were doing better from a wins-losses standpoint, Hicks would be getting more praise. Even though I do recall Peter King from Sports Illustrated saying that Hicks is one of his five biggest surprises of the start of the NFL season. That's overall, that's not rookies or you know, divisions or team, that's for the entire league. So it's pretty high praise. Yeah, I think Hicks absolutely belongs in the in the conversation. And you look at the numbers, especially considering he hasn't been a full time starter. Yeah. Uh, you have to take all that into account. And through through the first part of the season, forty three tackles, one sack, one forced fumble, three fumble recoveries, an interception, and two pass breakups. I went with another linebacker though, and that, and this is a guy that got drafted, I believe, the round after Hicks, uh, and was a full time starter right away. Quan Alexander from Tampa Bay had a monster day yesterday, but on the season, forty nine tackles, one sack, one forced fumble, a fumble recovery, two picks and seven pass deflections uh, has been very, very disruptive. I mean, it helps that I also liked him a lot coming out of LSU, of and he was a great fit oh, yeah. in that scheme in, uh, in Tampa Bay. But Alexander has been all over the field and facing adversity, losing his brother this week, and then coming out and having the game that he did against Atlanta. It was just great to see. I will say that uh, you should definitely go on the Bucks website and watch the video of Alexander getting the game ball yeah. from his teammates yesterday. Right. Definitely moving. Definitely emotional in light of what happened to his brother. So I went with Jordan Hicks as well. And I think Hicks is actually a name that we should have thrown around for Eagles MVP to this point. Because if you think about all the injuries at the inside linebacker position and, you know, with Kendricks and Alonzo and D'Amico has been banged up a little bit this year. Jordan Hicks has just been thrown into the fire and he's been a rock out there. Fran talked about all of his turnover numbers. He's always around the ball. And I think he's been a player that, you know, this thing could have all collapsed if they don't have that depth, that inside linebacker, you know, calling the plays on defense, calling the shots. So I went with Hicks as well. Another name that's a little bit familiar that's definitely in contention, I think, is Eric Kendricks, Michael's brother. I think he was the defensive rookie of the month in October. I think I read that he had four sacks in his last three games. So he's definitely a name to watch, but I went with Hicks as well. Moving on, uh, best team. I feel like we're all, we all may be in agreement with this one. Patriots all the way around. Fran? Yes. Yes. Fran is good with that. Three votes yes for Patriots. Thanks for participating, Fran. And last, but certainly not least, best soundbite of the season to this point. Now, 
the obvious favorite, I think, is Kirk Cousins. That's the obvious one right here. I've changed mine in the last 30 seconds. What do you got? Jerry Jones saying, frankly, you won't see a more gifted passer than Brandon Whedon. So that's after, a great one. That was after the Tony Romo injury. It just something that sparked in my mind. I was like, didn't he say something like that? And I'm like, I went and found well, the quote. So. Well, Jerry Jones did a couple of them this year. Yes. Like, very questionable. I would say so. Yeah. But that's a very good one, C-Mac. That's a good find. I went with Kirk Cousins for obvious reasons. Yeah. I'm sure we all obviously like that one the most, and I figured someone else would have it. So. There's a couple other just moments or quotes from the year that kind of stand out. The Jim Tom Sula moment for me stands out. Uh, a question of did he or didn't he uh, with the leather chair at the press conference. That kind of stands Jeez. out. Kiko Alonso also had a very good quote this year when he was asked about his knee procedure. Oh, yes. Uh, you like that? You like that? That's my winner right there. It's so good. You like that? You like that? My favorite part of that that vine uh, too is it looks like he's walking with like a PR person from Washington and like the guy has like a huge smirk on his face like what is he talking like yeah. what's he talking about what's he doing right now but Kiko Alonso also had a very good quote where he said uh, somebody asked him about what the procedure was that he had on his knee and he said uh, it's like when you take your car for a clean I'm not sure that's the medical term for it but Kiko Alonso uh, is definitely up there as well but I think Kirk Cousins kind of takes the cake here I think yeah. Kirk to answer your question we all like that. I actually, the other one I had written down before I went and found that Jerry Jones quote was the guns blazing from Greg Hardy, just because of how absurd it was. Anything Dallas Cowboys related on Greg Anything Hardy that, yeah, really could be. Because Jerry Jones called him, you know, a great leader and all the guys respect him. And I will, I will. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! I have, I have another one that's also Cowboys related. Uh, it has to do with our favorite college corner from last year. <laughs> Saying that he can cover Jason Witten one on one, and that's our own Chris Stevens saying that he can cover Jason Witten one on one. Which, I mean, in essence, that means that he's saying that Rashid Bailey is better than Jason Witten. But we'll see. Oh, I don't know. We can discuss that Way another to extrapolate day. Extrapolate that one. We're gonna need a whole podcast for that one. <laughs> that's the only way you can respond to that. That's the best way to go out with the potties. Yeah, that's that's how you close out the potties. Just flush it away and move on to mail time. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, so time for a little Mailing It In to wrap up this edition of the Eagles Entire Podcast. First question this week comes from on Twitter at TheRealJakeD60. Makes an interesting comparison. He looked at Drew Brees' numbers to start his career in New Orleans in 2006 and Sam Bradford's numbers here in Philly. Wants to know, you know, since they're similar to each other, I think there's a little bit of a difference, but I can see where he's going with it. Could we see an uptick in Sam Bradford's performance in the second half of the season? And the biggest hope for me is the run game, where you see the team has gained nearly 150 yards per contest over the last five games. After struggling out of the gate to start the year, they finally got the run game on track. So certainly that should definitely help Sam Bradford's cause. And you hope that maybe, you know, you erase some of the drops here and there. That could also go in his favor. So certainly, obviously, we've seen the system work. We've seen Bradford have success at times. It's just now, can he do it on a more consistent basis? 
I think there's good good reason for optimism for Bradford in the second half of the year. Yeah, and I, I think it comes down to the fact that the opportunities have been there, you know, and whether they've not been capitalized on because of drops or because of an inaccurate pass, opportunities week in and week out have been there for Bradford to put up high numbers. And again, it's been a number of different, you know, sometimes it may have been the protection as well. There are opportunities there to be made in the passing game. So if you think that there's a chance for the uptick of the numbers, there's absolutely a chance. There's no question there's a chance there. Now it's just a question of can the Eagles capitalize on those? Yeah, it's an interesting comparison, I think, too, between Breeze and Bradford. Uh, another comparison that I saw a couple weeks ago was comparing Bradford's start to Carson Palmer's in Arizona. Yeah. And in Palmer's, I think, I don't know, was it his first six games or something along those lines? He threw like 10 interceptions. People were wondering. It, it was basically this, the same exact thing where that's people were wondering. Apropos. I think that's a better comparison yeah. there. Coming, yes. off, coming off in the injury, people are wondering, you know, is this guy the right fit? Does he have anything left? And early on, it probably didn't. Now you flash forward a couple years later, and Carson Palmer is another guy where if Tom Brady wasn't having such a great year, Carson Palmer is, it could be an MVP candidate. Yeah. Um, and the Cardinals are obviously a really good team. He's done a great job for them. So comparing it to Breeze is interesting, but I think it compares uh, more so to Carson Palmer. And I think it just takes a little bit of time, but I definitely think that the numbers take a boost here in the second half, partially because of the run game, partially because I'm just optimistic and I just I think things are going to turn around. I think we look at the thing with Palmer is we're looking at how he's performing now. He had four touchdowns in the win over the Browns, three in the second half in the come-from-behind win. So I think we're thinking, oh, can he put up those types of numbers? It's like, well, we're not trying to project two years down the road with right. Bradford. We want to see, can he do something this year? I think that's a big question. Next one comes from at Brad underscore Straz on Twitter. Wants to know, how would you attack Dallas's defense differently than the first game? Well, I mean, what I'll say is that the last time the Eagles faced the Cowboys, nothing that they did worked. It wasn't like, oh, this scheme didn't work and they got to go back to the chalkboard. They they tried a number of different ways in the run game and the passing game. Uh, they were just literally it was just not the Eagles day on offense. You know, they couldn't get anything going. Now the question will be, can they just, you know, to use the word again, go back to that word. Can they execute better going down on the road and taking on this defense again? You saw what they were able to do with uh, holding up the interior linemen in the sweep game. And, you know, that allowed the, the linebackers like Sean Lee to be able to flow to the football consistently. You know, this is a team that, as we touched on earlier, Alex, they play a lot of dime. They play a lot of nickel. It's a sub package defense at this point. Lots of speed on the field. Can the Eagles take advantage of that, run against the, the advantageous looks and then make them pay on the back end that will be the the story of this game kind of erased that first Dallas game from my memory so I don't really remember exactly how the Eagles came out and tried to attack them from the beginning but maybe you try to open up the passing game early this time you try to get that vertical game going early then you get DeMarco and, and Ryan Matthews and, and those guys involved but that first game was just everything it seemed like everything that could have went wrong for the Eagles did where you had Kiko go down with an injury Kendricks went down with an injury and then you know there was the one play I think I can't remember who it was but the Eagles came away with a turnover and then Bradford's not ready for the snap and that was like the one point in the game where it was like okay this hasn't been a very pretty game to start but maybe this is where the eagles you know they're in the red zone to start maybe this is where they start to turn things around and bradford's not ready for the snap cowboys get it back and it was just that's just one of those games where i try not to remember it the one thing we shall note is the fact that they have greg hardy this time around they also have des bryant which they didn't have the first time they don't have tony romo so those are 
couple things to uh, know as big differences in the matchup. So you mentioned those injuries at inside linebacker. Jordan Hicks made the play that pretty much opened up the NFC East right. for everyone else to this point. Last question comes from Wilton Houston on Twitter. Would you make any trades at the deadline? Or more specifically, what trade would you make? And we'll, we'll throw specifics. Yeah. You know, realistics. Realistic trade, not like, oh, you know, trade for... Let's trade for Tom Brady. You know, the second coming of Reggie White or something like that. Urlacher. Urlacher. <laughs> Urlacher. Um, Bring back Dawkins. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just tough to say without knowing any you know, specific scenarios that are on the table. And it's always tough to go by reports too, just because it's, you know, oftentimes very agent driven and you don't know exactly know what to believe, but I don't know. I don't really know what's, what's out there. I mean, Chip has been a big believer in winning from within and, mm -hmm. you know, bringing on, you don't usually see guys brought on who haven't been a part of the program, part of the process since the start of, you know, the off season conditioning training camp. So it's why it's hard to envision it. You obviously everybody says offensive line, I mean, how many teams around the league do we talk about have offensive line issues? Yeah, we talked about a lot of them. We talked about Seattle earlier and their issues. That's largely been offensive line yeah. based. You know, everybody says wide receiver. It's like people say Anquan Bolden. Could it make sense? Yes, could it make sense? Certainly, but what's the cost? How much does he have left in the tank? But that's the type of receiver who would fit this offense. But you already have Riley Cooper. You got Miles Austin. You have proven guys at that spot. You know, you don't need a receiver. That to me, it's not a receiver that's going to make the difference. Here, so yeah, I just don't anticipate anything. I think it's always it's the fun. It's like oh, is something going to happen? And there'll be a couple moves, but it'll be nothing earth shattering whatsoever. Do you, think, do you think Detroit will take a fifth round pick for Calvin Johnson? Mm. No. Okay, never mind. Throwing a sixth round pick the year after All right, there might you go. be a business. Yeah, I really don't expect anything to happen. If I had to pick one guy who was like, okay, maybe if if this guy was available, they should go for him. It would be Anquan Bolden. Just I as, only say that because there's reports that right. he could be had. Yeah, but anyone in you know right, but just that kind of you know the big red zone target who can you know catch those 50-50 balls. Yes. I think Bolden would be the guy. But you just don't see teams making trades that often at this point. And especially when you consider the Eagles have already traded a number of draft picks when you think about the Sam Bradford trade. So they already lost the second round pick. Sure. Uh, I think, what else did they lose? A, or they swapped a fourth or a fifth or something like that. They also were missing a pick. Uh, they got it back. They got a third round pick when they traded a fourth last year. But you're already down some draft picks to begin with. So I really just don't see it happening. But I do think we should make note that this is a good time to think about the Isaac Sopoaga deal, which was the only trade at the deadline in 2013. The Eagles traded Isaac Sopoaga and a sixth-round pick to New England for a fifth-round pick and then swapped that fifth-round pick for Darren Sproles later that offseason. So things happen every now and then, and I think that was an outstanding move for the Eagles. It goes without saying as well that that trade opened up the door for, for Benny Logan Benny, to start yeah. a nose tackle. So, uh, gentlemen, I think that's going to do it for us. Here we go. Another week. This good to be back. Of the Eagles Insider Podcast, back from the Bygan Eagles Cowboys Sunday night prime time on NBC. Our live coverage on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and on the mobile app begins with a kickoff show at 7.30 p.m. So make sure to stay tuned for complete coverage all week long. For Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week.